This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. It is, it is really exciting to be able to be here today um, for, for a couple reasons. First of all, what Corey didn't tell you is that 121 uh, up in Grapevine is actually, there's a whole lot of Aggies that are part of the church. And, and so it is really exciting to be down here in God's country, back surrounded by, by fellow Longhorns and, uh, and, and back in Austin. So, so that's exciting. But then more than that, it was when, um, when Corey and Mike started talking about this church and planting this, uh, it was just hearing his vision for what uh, the, the needs in Austin and how they were going to come and start this church and, and how God was leading them in that. It was just exciting. And so over the, the last couple of years, we've been able to pray for them and we've been able to hear stories of, of the life change that's happening here. And so it's just been, so now it's exciting to be able to come here now and see it and be, and be a part of it. So I just want to thank you for letting me be a part of it. Um, we're here this weekend. My family's sitting, sitting right up here, um, and we'd love to, to interact and talk with you guys today um, and hear more stories about what's going on here. Uh, but recently, my family uh, has been going through, in our time of worship, we've been going through uh, the book of Acts. And, and as we go through the book of Acts, I don't know about you, but we, we encounter people like Peter and Stephen and Paul. And, and these guys are so bold in their faith. And, and I think to myself a lot of times, why, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be that bold and just go and, and, and live that out that way? Well, today, as we kind of, we're going to look at, we're going to be in Judges 6 and 7, and we're going to look at a guy in the Bible named Gideon. And Gideon is, um, he is, rather than being fearless, he is fearful. Right? He is hesitant, he's indecisive, and in, in a lot of ways, he's probably a lot like you and I. But what we're going to see as we, as we unpack this and look at this is that God uses him anyway. He moves him forward despite his fear. As a matter of fact, uh, our family was, was doing a family movie night not too long ago, and we were watching the movie Ferdinand the Bull. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a clip in there that I want to show you because it, it describes Gideon perfectly and probably describes us a lot too. So kind of a funny way to look at it, but how many of us can find ourselves in that exact same spot, right? We, we really want to do what we want to do rather than what God, we know what God wants us to do. And so we try, try and justify it and look for all these ways. And, and that describes Gideon perfectly. So what I want to do today is I just, I want to spend some time and I just want to walk you through the story of Gideon. And, and I want us to just kind of enter into his world and his life. And, and then we're going to circle back and, and we're going to look at three things that 
Gideon saw in God. And when he saw these things, and when we see these things, that is what allows us to move forward in the face of fear. Right? Because just like Ferdinand, we're all facing things that, you know, we, we know we need to be moving forward on, whether it's we're convicted through Scripture or we just feel that nudging of God to move forward on, but yet oftentimes fear holds us back. And so that's what we're going to look at today um, as we get into Judges chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. I need to give you a little bit of, of kind of context because the book of Judges kind of tell you where that fits historically. You see, long time ago, God called out a people group. He called out Abraham and his people, and he called them out and brought them into a promised land. And then after a, a series of different events, he moved them, they, they moved into uh, Egypt where they became slaves. Right? Life was, was rough. They called out to God. God rose up Moses, who led them out of the promised land, and then Joshua, or out of Egypt, and then Joshua led them into the promised land. And that's where the book of Judges picks up. You think, hey, they're back in the promised land. Things are going to be great. But that's not how Judges plays out. And so what we see is this cycle that happens over and over and over again through the book of Judges. They, they just, after one generation, after God did some amazing things to bring them out of Egypt, after one generation, they start to forget about God. And when they start to forget about God, God turns them over and says, okay, if you want to do it on your own, go ahead. And when that happens, all the neighboring countries come against them, and they ravish them. And they're, they're hurting, and they're hungry, and they call out to God. God raises up someone to deliver them. They call a judge. The judge delivers them, and then everybody celebrates, and everybody loves God for that until... The next generation comes around, they forget about God again. And this, this cycle happens over and over again. And, and it's, it's almost a downward spiral. And so when we look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. This phrase is, we see over and over again in Judges, that people did what was right in their own eyes. Or they, they did, they, they, uh, they, they, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Both of those phrases we see often. And, and what was happening here at this time in Gideon's life is it's not so much that they just totally abandoned God. They still kind of, hey, yeah, we, we, we worship that God, but we also want to worship this God over here, Baal, these uh, Asherah, these practical gods, these fertility gods that, that just, you know, I, I trust you, God, but I want to also have help with my crops. And so they worship these gods. And if you think about it, it's probably not unlike our culture today in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in God. But yet they also bring in all these practical things. And really what they orient their life around, and some of us may be in that boat, is those practical things, right? It's, it's the job. It's the entertainment. It's the, uh, maybe it's, it's, it's uh, your schoolwork. Whatever it is, that's what we orient our life around rather than God. And, and that's the situation they were in here. And so what God did is he gave them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites were a fierce warrior-like people uh, from Arabia. They were one of the first ones to use camels in warfare. And so what that allowed them to do is to strike out at great distances. They could cross deserts, they could cross great distances, and that's what they did. They would once a year go and they would cross the desert and they would attack Israel. They would take all of their food, right at harvest time, they'd take all of their food, all of their livestock, they would, uh, they would kill, they would just ravage the landscape. They would leave, go back home, and then the next year they'd come back. It's a lot like, if y'all remember the movie Bugs Life, 
The, the, the grasshoppers, Hopper would come in once a year, he'd threaten to squash the ants unless they gave him all of their, all of their food, and then they'd leave again, and they'd come back year after year. And so that's what was happening here. And God's people were, were scared. They were hiding off in the caves. They, they were hungry. They were starving. They didn't have any food. And so they called out to God. They, they asked for help. And in verse 6, we see that they cried out to the Lord. And then in verse 11, we meet Gideon for the first time. This is the guy that God raises up to save them. Well, they say first impressions really mean a lot, right? And our first impression of Gideon is not a good one. He says here that in verse 11, what we learn about Gideon right off the bat was that he was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from, to hide from the Midianites. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, right? Uh, but to the original hearers of this, they would have immediately clued in that he's not much of a hero. Because to beat out wheat, the way they would do it, they would gather their wheat and their grain. They would stomp on it to, to, to separate the, the stalk from the, the, the grain that they wanted. And then they would take it and they would throw it up in the air. The wind would carry away the stuff that they don't want, the, the chaff and that kind of stuff. And then the heavier stuff, the grain, would fall to the ground. That's what they would collect. But in order to do that, you need wind to carry it away. So they'd often do it on a hilltop. Well, a wine press is the exact opposite of that. A wine press is typically in a cave. It's a place where they would stomp out the grapes, and it would kind of pool into a carved-out stone place that, that would collect all the wine. Well, that would typically happen in caves. And caves are a great place to stomp grapes. It's a terrible place to thresh the wheat. And so right away we see that Gideon is cowering in fear. And so the, the, the readers would have picked up on that. And, and as soon as Gideon does that, as soon as we hear that, we, 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 say, we see in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So just picture, if you're, if you're reading this for the first time and you were just introduced to a guy hiding in a cave, you're thinking, mighty man of valor? The, the dude's in a cave hiding from the enemy. How, how can he be a mighty man of valor? Well, Gideon asked the question. He says, okay, you say the Lord is with us. Look around. God's not with us. Look, we're starving here. We're hiding in caves. Our enemy is here. They're, they're taking advantage of us. We're a punching bag. How could you say that God is with us? And, and so God's response is this. Verse 14, he says, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. So now all of a sudden, Gideon's tune has changed. Now that, now that he is being called to do something about it, he says, whoa, 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 me? No, no, you, you got the wrong guy. I am not a warrior. He says, as a matter of fact, in verse 15, he says, how can I save Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He said, I'm the weakest of the weak. You don't want me. I, how can I do that? And so God reassures him over and over again. He says, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as if one man, as if they were one guy that you were striking, all hundreds of thousands of them. He says, you're going to do it, and I will be with you is the promise that God gives him. So Gideon, you've you got to kind of imagine, you're, you're in his situation. You're, you're, okay, God, I hear you, but I don't see how that's possible. And so he asked for a sign, which I think is a reasonable thing. Can you give me a sign here that, that this is really you speaking to me? And so he builds up an altar, 
He, he puts an, an offering on it, and all of a sudden, whoosh, there's fire, and it just consumes the offering. So Gideon's thinking, okay, that's a, that's a pretty good sign. Uh, so, so he says, okay, God, I, I'm in. He, all of a sudden, Gideon gets it. He goes, okay, this is for real, and, and so I'm in. And, and so God immediately gives him a job. He says, all right, Gideon, you cannot worship me and all these other gods. So I need you to go into town and tear down the idols that are there. And so guess what? That night, Gideon goes into town, tears down the idols. Now, I would love to tell you that he did it that night because he was just so fired up and wanted to obey God right away. But what we see is that he was actually afraid. He was afraid to do it because of what the townspeople would say. But they might, they might even try and kill him for taking those gods away. So he snuck out at night and did it. But nevertheless, he did step forward in obedience to what God said. So, so we're starting to see a change here in Gideon. We're, we're starting to see that something changed and something happens in Gideon's life. Well, it doesn't take long before the Midianites are back. And so in verse 34, it says, But the, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abezrites were called out to follow him. We, we learn later on that there's 32,000 people that came to follow Gideon against the Midianites. That's, that's quite a big change from the weakest of the weak, right? And the reason is because it says that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. People could see something different in him. That, that the Spirit of the Lord was with him. And so they rose up to follow him to fight the Midianites. The Midianite army that was here at that time was about 100,000 soldiers, armed to the teeth, on their camels, coming up against them. And so these 32,000 rose up to follow Gideon. And so what do you think Gideon does? He asks for a sign. He's like, okay, wait a second here. Are we, are we sure this is what you want me to do, God? And so this is what the story you've heard probably over and over again, Gideon's fleece. He says, God, if this is really what you want me to do, then would you please, I'm going to put a fleece, just a, a piece of fur, out on the ground. When I wake up in the morning, will, will you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? And so sure enough, he wakes up in the morning, fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And he says, well, I, but maybe that was just, just, just a random chance. What if we flipped it the other way this time, God, did it a different way? And so what if t- tomorrow, if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know that this is what you want me to do. And God does it. He he is patiently assuring him over and over again. And and some people, when they read this, say, okay, that's how we determine God's will, right? We lay out something or we say, okay, God, if this happens, kind of like Ferdinand here, right? We say, if this happens, then I know you want me to do this and I'm in. But that's not what was going on here at all, right? Gideon knew God's will. He he knew what Gideon wanted him to do. He just didn't want to do it. And so he was looking for these excuses not to do it. But God patiently reassured him over and over and over again. So now Gideon's saying, okay, God, I give up. I'm I'm in. I'm going to do it. But now it's God who says, not quite so fast. He says, if I do this, if, if, I, if you go against, with 30,000 men against 100,000, then guess what's going to happen? You are going to take the credit when, when, when I win. And so what I want to do is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cut down that number. He says, but God, he says the Lord, verse, chapter 7, verse 2, he says, The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites in your hand. 
lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So he says, anybody who's afraid, send them home. And so about 200, uh, sorry, about uh, 20,000 of them went home right there. That brings them down to 10,000 people left against an army of 100,000. It's 10 to 1. But, but Gideon is still thinking, okay, we can still do this. It, it, odds aren't good, but, but there's a chance. And, and then God says, not quite yet. He says, take your, your 10,000 men down to the stream and watch how they drink. And when they drank, as a matter of fact, we were, uh, we were in, with a group that went to Israel just uh, a couple months ago. And we got to go to the, the, the spring that, that Gideon took his men to. And he said, if the, the men who drink like this, we have a picture of that yet? Like this, put their face all the way in the spring. Those are the guys you send home. But the guys who scoop it up and, 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 and lick it like a dog, though, that's your army right there. And so you can kind of just picture Gideon who's just waiting to say, okay, how many guys do I have left? And 300 men come back. He's got 300 left that, that were part of the army that he was going to attack the Midianites with. Now, just put yourself in his shoes now. He say, God, I'm trying to trust you here, but this is getting a little ridiculous. But Gideon's learning. He's learning that it's not his strength that he's relying on, that it's God's. And so the day comes, that evening, where it's time to go to battle. And so in verse 9, says, the Lord says, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. I love this about God. Do you think he knows Gideon pretty well? Do you think he knows that Gideon's probably going to ask for another sign? He doesn't even wait for Gideon to ask for a sign. He just gives him one. Once again, he's just patiently assuring him. So Gideon and his servant go down to the camp, and they're spying out. And the first thing they see is that the the thousands and thousands and thousands of camels, like like locusts. And and he's all of a sudden starting to freak out. How can we possibly? There's way too many of them. But then he hears something that he didn't expect to hear. He hears two of the guards speaking, and and one of them had a dream, and the other one's interpreting that dream. And he says, he says, the meaning of that dream is that Gideon and his army are going to roll down on our camp, and they're going to destroy us. See, Gideon was so consumed with his own fear, it didn't even cross his mind that this army might be afraid of them, or, or more specifically, of their God. And so all of a sudden, Gideon realizes, that's it. This is over. We're going to win. They're scared. They know what's going to happen, just like God told me what's going to happen. And so immediately, he bows down and he praises God, because he knows it's over. And sure enough, he goes back to his camp. And this is a story you guys have probably heard uh, many times, especially if you grew up going to to, um, Bible study in church. Right? This is where Gideon gets his men. He, take, he gives every one of them, all 300 of them, a trumpet and a torch. And then he puts a jar over that torch. He tells them to surround the enemy camp. This is in the middle of the night. And then on the, at the same time, they all break the jars. So there's torches in the hills, and they blow their trumpets. The Midianite army rises up, and they see 300 torches. And they hear 300 trumpets. Now, in that, day's, in that day, a battalion 
always had a trumpet and a torch. So what they saw was 300 battalions of soldiers surrounding them, not 300 soldiers. And then to top it off, it was right at the time of shift change. So the one group of guards was getting up out of their tents, walking to relieve the other ones. The other ones were relieving, were, were leaving their tents to go back, were leaving their, their posts to go back to the tent. And in the confusion, when they heard the trumpets and everything else, they thought the other person was the enemy, and they just started attacking each other. Completely wiped each other out. They end up in fear, scared to death, and fleeing the area. And, and without drawing a single sword, God won the victory for Gideon and the Israelites. Now, that's an amazing story. There's no doubt about it. But to me, one of the most amazing parts of that story is, is what God did in Gideon and how he just slowly started to move him along. And I think for our purposes today, that's something that we can really lock onto. Because what we're going to see is that as Gideon started to see the character of God, and specifically we're going to see that he saw three things. He saw God's presence, he saw God's power, and he saw God's plan. And when he saw those things, he was able to move forward in the face of fear. And, and that's the idea that, that, that I want us to see today, is, is how we can see these same things in God, and it'll allow us to move forward in the face of fear. So let's look at the first one, the first thing he saw about God, and that was God's presence. Throughout this entire story, there's this theme of fear, right? There's, there's Gideon, well, first start with the Israelites who were afraid of the Midianites. Gideon was afraid of the, uh, of, of the angel of the Lord. Gideon was hiding in a cave, right? Gideon wanted sign after sign after sign. The Midianites were afraid of the, of the Israelites. There's just this theme of fear throughout. But if you'll notice, there's also a theme of God's reassurance throughout that fear. His presence is constant. He says in verse 12, God is with you. He's just reassuring him. Verse 14, with you. Right? All of these reassurances, he gives him signs, all of these things along the way, as if he's a father coming along to just reassure him. He knows what he's asking Gideon to do is scary, but he constantly comes alongside him in that. Several years ago, uh, my family and I, we went to a uh, family camp, a can of cook family camp. You may, may be familiar with those. Uh, it was a great week, and, and we, uh, one of the highlights was there was a pool there, and the pool had a high dive. And so when we got there, the kids wanted to go do the high dive, and my daughter Valencia, she was probably three or four at the time, ran over there, so excited, she so wanted to do it, climbed up the ladder, walked out to the edge of the diving board, and then froze. Just completely froze. And so all the crowd around is cheery. Come on, you can do it. She couldn't do it. She's just, just, just frozen. And so as her dad, I walked up. I climbed up the ladder and I walked out to the edge. And I just sat down on the edge with her. We talked about it for a second. And, um, and, and I, we came up with a plan. And we said, okay, I'm going to hold your arms like this. I'm going to lower you out over the edge. On the count of three, we're going to count to three together. And I'm going to let go. She said, okay, we can do that, we can do that. And so we did. We did that, we go one, two, three. And I let go. And, and, I, and there was that kind of that moment in my head, I was like, okay, this is either going to go really well or it's going to go really poorly. And, and so when she pops out of the water, I see this giant smile on her face. Yes. And so she got out, she was so excited that she did it, she gets out of the pool, she gets in line and just goes it over and over and over again on her own. 
Now, her, she, was joy, she was so joyful about it, but I got to tell you that her joy paled in comparison to mine. Because as her dad, watching her conquer her fear, and then watching her trust me to be able to do that, there was nothing that could bring me more joy than that, especially when I saw that smile pop up out of the water. And that is the same that God does for us. He, he is our, our patient, reassuring Father who's always there. And, and I would love to think that it was my pep talk that got her to jump off, but it wasn't. It, it was just my presence there. That's what allowed her to do it. And, and the same is true for us, right? The fact that God's present with us in this, that he reassures us constantly, gives us the ability to move forward in our fear. Notice at the very beginning of that story we, said, we talked about, right? Gideon, God calls him a mighty man of valor. But what does Gideon say about himself? He says, I'm the weakest of the weak. Right? He's telling himself a completely different story. And oftentimes that's what holds us back from moving forward in our fear. It is that we're telling ourselves a completely different story than the story that God sees in us. Right? Maybe God is moving you to, to share your faith with, with, with someone that you know, a friend or something, but you're, you're nervous, you're not sure, and you're telling yourself the story that, you know what, I, I just don't know enough to do that yet. Or, or maybe it's the fact that uh, you're running with a group of friends that's kind of pulling you in a bad direction. You're doing things or, or on the path to do things that, that you know are not honoring to God. And, and you tell yourself, well, I'm just a college student. That's just what college students do. You're telling yourself a story that is not the true story that God is telling about you. So, so what are the stories that you're telling yourself that are holding you back from moving forward in the face of your fear? The only way for us to see those is if we constantly anchor back to God's Word. And what does God tell us about ourselves? He says things like, in Psalm 139, He says we are created for a purpose. Matthew 28, he says, we are called to influence others for Christ. Philippians 1.6, if, if he calls us, he will equip us. Right? These are things that we can constantly go back to, that he, we are his children, that we are loved by him. All of these things are the truth that we hear from him, and that is the story that we need to be telling ourselves, not that I'm the weakest of the weak like Gideon was. So once, once he saw God's presence... Gideon was able to move forward in the face of fear. The other thing he saw was God's power. And through his power, we have confidence, not in ourselves, but in, the, in God's strength. So if we kind of go back to uh, verse 22, Gideon asked for a sign, he saw God's power, and, and then he says, confidence in God's power, not his own. It's been said that, that the antidote to fear is not courage, as if we could just kind of muster up enough courage to defeat fear. The antidote to fear is trust. And it's trusting in something greater than yourself. That's how we can overcome our fear. That's how we can move forward in the face of our fear. Culture will tell us that we have to look inside of ourselves to, find, to, to build up our confidence. But what Scripture said is we need to look outside. We need to look at something greater than ourselves. We need to look at God's strength. That's where we find our confidence in Him. 
And sometimes God has to humble us in this. It's, it's been said that our, greatest, uh, that our weakness is our greatest strength when it drives us to depend on him. And, and we saw that in uh, chapter 7, verse 2, when the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many, right, to me, for me to give them into your hand, lest Israel boast over me. He had to weaken them in order for them to trust wholly in him. And we have to do the same thing. Paul, we see the same thing in Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, t- chapter 12, verse 9. Paul is, is, has this thorn in his flesh, and, and it's some kind of ailment, and he prays to God three times, God, please remove it, please remove it. But God says to him, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so it's in our weakness that we can find strength, that we can find our confidence in him. And and this is the essence of our faith, right? This is what we call the gospel, the good news, is that because we, in our weaknesses, we could never be made right with God, right? In our weaknesses, we have sinned against him. But there's one who did come in Jesus, who, who was not weak. He was perfectly strong. And it was in his strength that we find our ability to be made right with God. Right? We could never be right. We could never do it. But yet Jesus, in his strength, if we trust and have our confidence in his strength, then now we can be made right with God. And that's the essence of our faith and what we, what we look for. So we need to embrace that weakness, but looking in confidence towards the strength of God. So Gideon, two things he's seen so far. He's seen the the presence of God, and he's seen the power of God. And now the last thing is his plan. And this allows him to to confidently move forward in the face of fear. So in verse 27, Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of town to do it by day, he did it by night. I want you to notice a couple of things here. Gideon saw God's power and he was ready to obey, but when he started to move forward in obedience, did the fear go away? It didn't. He's still afraid, but he moved forward anyway. It's, we don't move forward, uh, be, we move forward despite our fear. The fear doesn't necessarily go away. The second thing that we need to see here is that did he do it perfectly? He didn't. Right? He snuck out at night. He did it imperfectly. It was kind of ugly, but he did it anyway. Several years ago, so I mentioned that um, I went to UT. While I was here at UT, I I played rugby. And and, um, if you know anything about the rugby culture, it's a a rough culture in a lot of different ways, um, just in both in darkness and and debauchery. It's just a rough culture in general. That's not even the game. Uh, and, and so when I moved, I, when I left here, I moved to Dallas, and I, and I got a job, and I kept playing rugby with a, with a team up there. And, and I was in the thick of it. I was leading people down that, that dark path. But in the midst of that, God saved me. And, and I didn't know a lot about my new faith, but I knew that I needed to try and reach my teammates. I, I needed to, to try and, and, and tell them about Jesus. And so I, I came up with this plan. I was the team captain, and so I said, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. Uh, I, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray before our next game. My job as a team captain was to gather everybody together and, and to give them a pep talk. And so when I gathered them together, I said, guys, we're, before the game, we're going to pray. And they just got these blank stares. Like, like they, didn't even, they couldn't even fathom or comprehend that. So I just, I just kept going. And, and I had my prayer ready on one hand, and I had my, my pep talk in the other hand, right? 
and, and somehow I got, I got the two mixed up. And, and it, was, it was ugly. It, it, it was something like this. It was, God, thank you for letting us come out here and play rugby today. Now let us go out there and rip the blank, 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 and kick the blank, 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 blank out of the team. And, and, and it, was, it was the most horrible prayer ever. And these guys didn't know much about prayer, but they knew that that was a bad prayer. And, and, and so it was the butt of every joke for the longest time. We lost the game, and they all accused me of bringing the wrath of God down upon us. It was, it was awful. It was, it was like, but it was an ugly, imperfect step forward in my faith. And, and it actually, believe it or not, bore fruit. Because it was so awful, people talked about it all the time. So, so my faith was constantly being talked about. And they were watching this guy, you, you are a Christian? And, and to see if my life was changing to match up with what I said I believed. And, and over time, I got to have conversations with different people about my faith and about their faith. And, and so God used it regardless, even though it was an ugly, imperfect step forward. And that's what I want to encourage us to do today, just like Gideon, is to whatever God is moving in us. I want you to think about where God is moving you. Is it something that you're being convicted on to move forward? Maybe it's to, um, uh, to, to step up and do something within uh, Austin Life Church. It, it's to be in a discipleship group or a, a community group. Or, or maybe it's lead something else. Maybe it's, it's that first time where you don't even really know, I don't know if I really am fully believing in Jesus or not. And maybe it's that time to take that step and just say, I'm in. I am all in now. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's sharing your faith with somebody else. That's a scary step forward. Uh, maybe it's stepping away from a group of friends that's taking you down a bad path. And to say, no, I'm going to follow God in this. But, but what is that first step forward? And I want to leave you with kind of just a visual for that. Because um, oftentimes we get hung up on, on all, okay, I've got to do this and this and this and this and this to do what I know God is leading me to do. But oftentimes we just got to focus on that first step. So picture this. Picture you're in a dark, dark forest. And there's, there's, there's sounds all around you. Right? You, you can't see anything. And all the sounds around you are scaring you. You don't know what, all you feel is fear, but you know you have to get out of here. And all you've got is this little tiny flashlight right here. Well, here's the deal. I can't see a thing out there, but I can see right in front of me. And when I, but, but when I take that first step, Look what happens to that, that spot. It moves forward, and I can see a little bit more. And then I take another step, and it moves a little bit more. I can see more. And I take another step, and I can see more. Until I get myself out of that forest and that darkness. You can turn the lights on now. And that's what I want you to challenge you to do today, is to take that first step, whatever that is. Don't worry about steps three, four, and five, and six. Don't, don't worry about steps 100. Just what is that first step that God is calling you to do? I'll, I'll never forget, several years ago, I was, uh, I was sitting at Taco Bell in Fort Worth, and I was wrestling with, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I was, I was taking seminary classes. I was working in the corporate world, trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And, and somebody walks in, and he looks kind of disheveled, and, and I'm thinking, oh, no, don't, I don't, don't, God, I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't have time for this right now. Now, no, don't miss the irony there. I don't, I'm, I'm wrestling through what do you want me to do with my life? What, what's your plan, God? But I'm like, I, I don't want to talk to this guy. 
And sure enough, he comes up to talk to me. Turns out he, he just got off a train, uh, and he's looking. He had AIDS, and he was trying to find the AIDS clinic there. So I said, all right, come on, let's, let, 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 me, let me take you to the clinic. And we started talking. I was asking him about his faith and what he believed. And, and he said, you know, he didn't know much about the Bible, but he read one story about this guy named Lazarus who rose from the dead because that really appealed to him at this, where he was in his stage of, with, with dealing with battling AIDS. And I got the privilege of introducing him to the guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. I got to introduce him to Jesus. And, and, and so I almost missed that opportunity because I was so focused on, God, what do you want me to do long-term, big picture, and not focused on what God had right in front of me. So what is it that God's calling you to do? What's that next? Circle back to the story of Gideon. You see, after they won that incredible battle, you, you would think that everything's great, right? They saw God do an amazing thing. But it wasn't long before that cycle continued again. It wasn't long before they forgot about God and they got themselves right back in the same mess. Because you see, Gideon was their savior, right? He saved them from the Midianites. But, but he couldn't change their hearts. He couldn't save them from their greatest enemy, which was their own sin. But Jesus does. And so that's where we need to rest our confidence. It is in Jesus, the one who gives us the ability to do this. You see, we can't do everything we just talked about, about moving forward in the face of fear. We can't do that unless we've trusted in Jesus. And then through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can then move forward in the face of our fear. Because it's through Jesus that we can see God's presence. It's through Jesus that we can see his power, and then ultimately we can see his plan. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to be here today and to, to open your word. And Lord, I pray that, um, that we would each move forward in the face of our fear. Whatever that is that you're leading us to, God, I pray that, that would just, you would lock that into our minds. And that you would give us the courage to take that one step forward in that. That we would see your presence and your assurance in that. That we would see your power and that we would rely on you, not ourselves. God, I thank you for the, the life that you've brought to Austin Life Church. The lives that are being transformed. And I pray that you would just continue that work. That you would continue to grow this body. So let me give you guys just a minute then to, to just kind of think through what is it that God is leading you to move forward in. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.